this eve uh, this morning rather we will our series on the church that Jesus built we've been uh, doing this for this thing this is lesson number 6 uh, we're going to talk about the future of Jesus's church next week oh yeah i keep thinking next week's vbs it is vbs but doesn't apply to sunday morning uh, so next week we will begin a series on living and thinking biblically in a different various areas of life. So uh, biblical thinking and then uh, like biblical manhood and womanhood, biblical families, uh, biblical jobs, right? So uh, various ways of thinking biblically in various areas of life. That's where we're going to start next week. Uh, as we think about the future of Jesus Church, one of the things that is, is obvious as you go through the latter part of the New Testament that every generation worries about the future. And the apostles were not different in this respect. Every generation, we think about the things that we do in life, societies we build, the families we build, the, the careers we build, whatever it is that we're building in our life, there comes a point when we begin to worry, what's going to happen to these things after I'm gone? What will the future, and maybe in your life, you think about the future of our country, the future of your family, the future of your possessions, what's going to happen, all that stuff. We can think about the book of Ecclesiastes really emphasizes this idea. And the apostles are not exempt from this human worry. The apostles, too, had this in this worry about the future. Now, Jesus spent three years, because Jesus also thought about this. He spent three years preparing his apostles for the work. He's going to be gone. What are they going to do after he's gone? He's going to, of course, use them to build his church. In John chapter 14, he promises them, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. That is when he dies, when he ascends. My peace I give to you. Even Jesus was thinking about the future, right? I've spent three years preparing you. I'm going to go. I'm going to die, be raised, and then ascend. Don't worry, I'm going to send you some help. He's going to help you remember all these things. But all generations passed away. They, they built, we looked at the last five weeks, the work that they did building this thing that Jesus promised to build. As generations pass, it's natural to wonder if what we have built will live beyond ourselves. And as you read the latter letters of the New Testament, the pastoral letters, the prison epistles, we might call them the prison epistles, uh, we read First uh, and Second Peter, First, Second, and Third John. We're going to read Jude, some of Jude. An aging leadership group. When I say leader, the apostles, right? They're aging. They're coming to the end of their lives, and they are worried: Will this thing that Jesus has used us to build, this church that Jesus has built, will it last beyond our deaths? Like any generation of humans throughout history, the apostles worried. Is this thing going to last beyond us? When we die, what's going to happen to this thing that we have built? And so the question for us, how did they handle that worry, right? What, what did they put in place? What things did they say to ensure that the thing that they were building would last into the future? And might I suggest the advice that they have as they're thinking about dying and passing on and then the work is going to be continuing after their death, the things that they're thinking about are the things that we think about, right? My children, will they be faithful? My children's children, will they be faithful? This place in Dewey, will there be a congregation of believers? Not only after my death, but hopefully hundreds, if not, probably not thousands. I can be pretty clear about that. I don't know, maybe thousands into the future. 
the church that the apostles built, I don't think they were thinking about thousands of years into the future. And yet here we are, thousands of years into the future. First, they were concerned that people would continue to remember and teach what the Holy Spirit gave them from Jesus. We read that, right? I will give you the Holy Spirit, the helper. He will teach you all things and lead you into remembrance of all that I have said to you. They were preeminently concerned. We are going to die. Will people remember what we've taught? Will they continue to teach what Jesus gave us? 2 Peter 1, 12 through 15. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities Though you know them and are established in a truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in the body. He's thinking about dying, right? As long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. I like the way he phrases that, the idea of death as putting off of the body. He's like he's, like he's taking off a suit of clothes, right? I'm, he's not going to die. His soul will persist. He, in his essence, will continue. But he, he's just putting off the body. I know that that's going to happen soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to at any time recall these things. Why was it so important that they be any, able to at any time recall these things? Well, something that was interesting that was brought up in our men's Bible study yesterday. Of course, at the time Peter's writing this, there's not really a great cohesive collection of New Testament letters. Some haven't even been written yet. The binding of the, the gathering of the New Testament letters wouldn't happen for another 50 years, let's say, of collecting them into one cohesive book. So he's thinking about, okay, I'm teaching you these things. You need to know them. You need to be able to remember them. You need to be able to recall at any time. You may not have access to the written word. So you need to learn these things now, learn these things and memorize them so that when I'm dead, you still know what they are. Now for us, we have the benefits of the gathered, collected text. That's a great thing that we have. One of the things that has done is made us lazy. Just has. We don't remember, we don't memorize things. One of the things I'm always so impressed about Pat, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, he does not bring a Bible up when he, he always does this whenever he gives a talk. He doesn't bring a Bible, he just memorizes it. A good example for all of us, I think. We just don't do that as much. Why? Because why would I memorize it? I can just pull out my phone and boop, 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 and I have whatever I need right at the, at the tip of my fingers. Or I could have a paper Bible and just have it with me, right? I can just read it. That doesn't help me in temptation in the moment. At any time, I will be able to recall these things. And we think about the awareness of impending death that Peter has here. He's thinking about dying and the urgency that that has created in him. What? The urgency that you need to continue when I'm gone. I won't be here to keep you straight. This needs to be something that you have internalized, something you have absorbed prior to my death. Paul was thinking similarly in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Of course, Timothy and Titus, being uh, people in my position, ministers who were going to be sort of the next generation after Paul died, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Teach and urge these things. What things? The sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. What are the sound words? How did they, how did they learn those things? How did people learn those things? Well, we already read it. 
I will send you the helper, the Holy Spirit. He will guide you into all the remembrance of the things that I've taught you. And then they conveyed it to others. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree, then, then what? He is puffed up and understands nothing. How long did Paul intend this instruction to apply? Well, definitely at least as long as Timothy lived. I would suspect, as we'll read in just a minute, he expected that to endure until some words came that contradicted Jesus, except, wait, nobody's going to be able to contradict Jesus. Why? Because he's the Son of God. Nobody's going to overrule him. Nobody's going to come that has more authority than him. The words of Jesus Christ, that's, that's it, man. Those are the words that are going to be authoritative forever. Those who are have an unhealthy craving for controversy. Do people like that exist today? People with an unhealthy craving for... Con Maybe that's me. I kind of have an unhealthy craving for controversy. For quarrels about words. For what? Envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions. These are things that he knew would happen that continue to today. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. The indication that what? Okay, you need to teach these things. But his intent was not that it just lasts for the generation of Timothy, but what? You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witness, witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier tangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned until he unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Why was it so important that he pass on what he had heard from Paul? Right? Oh, say so. He says to Timothy, teach and urge these things. If anyone has a different idea, don't listen to him. But not just you teach and urge these things, you convey it in such a way so that others can pass this on. The future of the church rests in our ability to teach others to teach. That's it. Both in an evangelistic sense, but also just in the immediate sense of families teaching families, teaching families, teaching families. That's why we're here, right? Because Timothy succeeded at this. And the people after him, they succeeded at this. And after them, and after them, and after them, a chain of teaching the truth for 2,000 years. And here we are. Why was it so important that this happened? Because of what he said in the second part here. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. We're the soldiers. We're the athletes. And what's the stipulation? We only are good soldiers if we're thinking about one who enlisted us. The athlete only gets the crown unless he competes according to the rules. What are the rules? The things that you have heard from me. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ. What are the rules? Unless we compete according to the rules, we don't get the crown. That is the same truth in perpetuity. They were concerned, preeminently concerned, that what they had taught would continue to be taught for all generations. Because the severity of the risk for those who would not hear and the greatness of the reward for those who would hear. Those who would be enlisted in the service of Christ. The second thing, as they considered the next generation, they were worried about the difficulties that future Christians would, would face. Difficulties that 
I think we look around and we see a lot of difficulties for Christians and we think, man, it's never been this bad. Man, things have never been so horrible. And that's such arrogance. Arrogance in the utmost. Because they knew. They anticipated that any generation of Christian would face the same difficulties. Jude 1, 3 through 4. Beloved, I thought, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean, faith that was once for all delivered? To contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints? The faith that was delivered once and it's not, there's not going to be more. There's not going to be new faith, right? The thing that was once delivered for all the saints. Here it is. We have it. But what? What's Jude worried about? There are people that are going to come in and pervert it, twist it, change it, alter it. The faith that was once delivered, which is why we need to what? Contend for it. We can think about the soldier language. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. His aim is to please the one who enlisted him. What's our aim? To fight for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Peter says it this way in 2 Peter 3, verse 1. This is now the second letter I'm writing to you. In both, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. We already read that in chapter 2. That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets the commandments of our Lord Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days. What is the last days? Well, Jesus says what? He ascends into heaven and then, then the angels, they appear and they say what? He'll appear to you like he has gone up. The last days are the days in which we are living before Jesus returns. In the last days will come scoffers. Following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the days, uh, from the beginning of creation. Idea of scoffing, of mocking, of, of doubting, of being a skeptic is what this idea is. Do people still scoff like this? Jesus is never coming back. That's what they're saying, right? The scoffers that will come and they will say, don't worry about it. He hasn't come back yet. He's never going to come back. Things just go on the way they are. Things will continue to go on forever. This is not a new thing that people would deny that Jesus will return someday. Peter knew. He understood that this was going to be a problem. And so what did he say? Verse 15. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all these letters when he speaks of them in these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. What was he worried they would misunderstand? Well, what he'd previously talked about. The Lord's return, right? Is the Lord coming back? When is he coming back? How's that going to be? There's a lot of complexity about, about what does God expect of us and, and how is he going to return? When is he going to return? And what is he worried about? Do not get carried away with the error of lawless people. Those who twist the scriptures to their own destruction. 
Do people still do that today? Yeah, they do. People twist the scriptures. People misunderstand. People are ignorant. These are not new ideas. This was not unanticipated. The idea that people would come and say false things about scripture, that was inevitable. That was a foregone conclusion. We were warned about it numerous times. That's going to happen. So take care. Take care that you're not carried away with that false teaching. Take care that you understand these things the way that Paul and Peter, the, the apostles, they intended them to be understood. Paul says it to Timothy this way in chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3. Understand this, that in the last days, here's the last days again, right? In the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. When did Paul expect these times of difficulty to end? The phrase last days is telling, right? When are these things going to end? They're going to end when Jesus comes back. That's the last days. Whenever Jesus returns, that's when this ends, which means what? As long as Jesus is not here yet, what am I expecting? I'm expecting that people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, etc. And they will create times of difficulty for God's people. You look around, you see this today. Again, I'm going to say this very strongly. We are not special. Our society has not come up with new ways of being unrighteous. They knew exactly what would happen. The same thing that happens in literally every generation. That people are selfish. And they put their own desires ahead of God's desires. It's literally the same struggle all throughout history. And we're warned of this, that people will come and there will be times of difficulty. We are warned that this will happen. Every generation of Christians face the same thing. People who will come and they will deny Jesus. People who will come and they will pervert the grace of God. People who will come and they will say, he's never coming back. People who will come and they will twist the scriptures to their own destruction. People who will come and they will be lovers of self and this long list of things. That does not change from generation to generation. That does not change and will never change until Jesus comes back. Which means what? Above all else, they wanted future Christians to continue to be ready for Jesus' return. To continue to teach the things that were needing to be taught. To stand up against the people who are going to pervert that. And to be ready for Jesus to come back. Titus 2 verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. What is the present age here? Whenever you're reading this text, that's the present age, right? Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of, our glory of, our, uh, the, appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, 
who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Which people? Which people is that? It's anybody who's reading this at any time throughout history who are willing to submit to the authority of Jesus. That's them in, in their present age. That's the Christians in the 200s, just after the apostles passed on the next few generations. That's Christians in 11th century Africa or Christians in 31st century Mars. I don't know if we'll ever get to Mars. If we do, this text will apply to them. Right? Because they'll still be waiting for what? For his appearing. For his return. When then should Jesus' followers stop being zealous for good works? When should they stop that? I guess when you're dead. When you're dead, you're allowed to stop that. But other than that, that's it, right? To continue to be zealous for good works because Jesus has purified for himself a people. That's us. We've been purified, hopefully. I hope you've been purified. Ready to do good. Their concern was what, that people would continue to teach the truth that Jesus gave them. That people would be ready to face difficult circumstances of false teachers and those who would deny Jesus and that people would continue to do good and to be ready for the blessed hope. We're still waiting. But Peter knew that it might be a long time and that scoffers would come. Well, where is the promise of his coming? 2 Peter 3, 8-12. He warned about it, and his conclusion was this. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. How long has it been since Jesus ascended? Two days. It's been two days. Not from our perspective, right? That's the point of this text. Not from our perspective. From God's perspective, Jesus has been gone for two days. A thousand years is a day, and a day is a thousand years. Two thousand years for us, not that long for God. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. What is it like a thief? Unexpectedly. When you're not thinking about it, when you're not ready. It's gonna, he's going to come. And then what will happen? The heavens will pass away with the roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. When will that happen? Maybe God will wait another five days. 5,000 years. I don't know. Could be in two minutes. But it's going to happen, right? And so what's the conclusion? Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. It's clear that the apostles intended their teaching to persist beyond their deaths until the return of Jesus. And they were concerned. Are people going to continue to be faithful are people going to continue to follow truth? Are people going to continue to teach? It's the same question that faces every generation. Are we building Jesus' church? 
or something else? Are we building an assembly of people committed to the truth that Jesus taught through his apostles? Or are we building our own thing? Might be great, but it's not God's. Might be a place where people find comfort and joy and happiness, but if we're not building on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, if we're not building on that, no matter what we're building, it's not Jesus's. We wait for and we hasten. That word hasten, the coming of the day of God, what does that mean? That we want it to come more quickly. I don't know if that's how you feel. What does he say? No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. For us, that would be what? The cares of this life. We talked about it in our class this morning. Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. I don't know what civilian in suits you're entangled in. Family conflicts, job struggles, health issues, a lot of stuff in the world that can go wrong. But if you're a soldier of Christ, your concern is what? Being zealous for good works, living lives of holiness and godliness, waiting and hastening the coming of the day of God. I hope it comes soon because I'm tired of this life. I hope you're ready for it. We offer the invitation to wait eagerly with expectation of redemption, to have that blessed hope. And if you're here in the audience today, you're not sure if you're ready, let's make it right, because we don't know when he's coming, like a thief, right? To be united with him in immersion, to repent of our sins, to confess him before men. We can do that. And if you have those civilian pursuits, those things of this life that are dragging you down, the invitation's for you too. To come unload those things, to offer help if you need it. Come while we stand and sing.